This is the word of the Lord. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor from him for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by God who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, Do you know what a linchpin is? A linchpin is a pin uh, that keeps something in place. At home I have a dolly uh, that has an adjustable handle. It has two pins on the sides. If you were to remove those pins, uh, the handle would just flop up and down, right? Uh, It needs the pins to be secure. Um, You think about an arch. Uh, If you've ever been to St. Louis and seen the great arch, uh, an arch you build up from each side, but it's the section in the middle that holds it together. If you were to take that section in the middle out, this is true of any arch, uh, both sides would go kaplunk. It's a form of a linchpin. Uh, we also, when we think about the idea of uh, a linchpin, we can think about it in relationships. Maybe in your family you had that grandmother or that grandfather who was uh, for a long time in, in your memory the person that the rest of the family uh, surrounded themselves around. And when that person was removed, uh, the family didn't come together as much. Or uh, I, I noticed this in friends groups throughout my life. You would have groups of friends and you realize after a time that this, these group of friends were really focused on multiple friendships with one person. And you came together for that common friendship. But when that person was removed, there's kind of no reason to get together anymore. It's a linchpin person. The epistle of Hebrews uh, begins to describe Christ from the very beginning as the linchpin of our faith. If you remove Jesus, everything falls apart. We cannot remove Jesus. And and really, in a unique way, the the letter to Hebrews is single-minded in talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ. We've seen this. He's greater than all. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's uh, greater than Aaron. Everything. That's right. That's right. Aaron and the high priest. He's greater than everything. And in essence, he's arguing, if your understanding of Jesus is right, everything else falls into place. We have to understand who Jesus is. In in talking about Hebrews, John Calvin says this, There is indeed no book in Holy Scripture which speaks so clearly of the priesthood of Christ, which so highly exalts the virtue and dignity of that that only true sacrifice which he offered by his death. And in a word so fully explains that Christ is the end of, of the law. We're continuing to see as we go forward here 
Christ in his office as, as high priest talked about. Something interesting you may or may not know, Christ is not called high priest anywhere else in Scripture. Only in the book of Hebrews is Christ called high priest. And so much of what we read elsewhere in Paul and others, and we say, oh yeah, that's, that's Jesus in the role of high priest, really comes from the book of Hebrews. It's very centered around this. And so as we come, we consider more of this office of high priest today, we're going to see three things. The office of, of high priest, some of which we saw last week. That's the first point, though. The office of high priest, and then our last two points are Jesus' qualification and Jesus' appointment. So the, the office of high priest, Jesus' qualification for that office, and Jesus' appointment to that office. Let's begin by looking at the office of high priest. And the writer of Hebrews begins to lay out some things uh, that must be true about the individual for them to be high priest. He begins by saying they must be chosen from among men. They have to be chosen from among men so that they can act on behalf of men in relation to God. So that's the first thing. They have to be taken from mankind. And their purpose is next, uh, to deal with a man or, or to be the go-between between man and God, specifically in the issue of dealing with sin. The high priest was appointed by, by God to represent sinners before God. And most specifically, we looked at this last week, this was tied to the Day of Atonement. That one day of the year where the high priest uh, made sacrifice for his sins and then went into the Holy of Holies, as we saw last week, and, and made atonement for the sins of the people. The high priest in this way was a mediator. He represented uh, the sinful people before God, and he brought them back into fellowship with God through his work on their behalf. This is what the high priest was. This was the qualifications in some ways. This is what the office, or excuse me, this is what the office was. Jesus had to be human if he was going to act as our go-between. The high priest, the mediator for the people of God, had to be taken from men. He can deal, this is verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Verse 3, because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. Now this is where the earthly high priest and the Jesus high priest diverges. Now, Jesus, the first part is true. Jesus did understand our weakness. How did Jesus understand our weakness? Well, because he took on our weakness. But Jesus, of course, didn't have to offer sacrifice for himself. We'll look more of that, more, more of that soon. But Jesus comes as a mediator as the high priest, not having any sins or failures of his own, but being personally acquainted with weakness. Believers, 
then are forgiven through the saving work of Jesus. Whereas those who are not believers remain in an unrepentant state because they have no mediator. This talking of the Old Testament high priest teaches us some things. It teaches the Old Testament reader something and us as well. We need a mediator. That, that's what's certain. We need a mediator. We cannot do without one. We need someone who is going to stand between us and God. We know that we cannot do it on our own. This is what was being taught to Old Testament Israel. You need the high priest to go between you and God. Now, there was also this imagery of, and it's not perfect because he continually has to go between you and God. And not only that, but he has to sacrifice for his own sins first. But they needed that mediator. That Old Testament imagery was to show a need. We cannot bridge the gap on our own. We needed someone who was man who could come and mediate. But we needed also something far better. Because we can't do it on our own. And so in that light of understanding what the high priest was, we now see Jesus' qualifications to the office. First and foremost, we see that Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. It is his humanity, in part, that qualifies him to be our mediator. He can fulfill that priestly role. Because he shared in what we can identify with. In what ways, in what practical ways do we know that Jesus shared in what we experience? And you could go, we could like take a survey now of the New Testament, of the life of Jesus, just in the four Gospels. And we can see the ways in which Jesus was qualified as how he shared in our experience. In practical terms, uh, ultimately we see... Uh, that it was fulfilled in the cross where he suffered pain and death, but also judgment. It is there Christ paid for our sins. Uh, but on a, on a more everyday basis, we see it through uh, the things he experienced. Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus did what? He wept. Why did he weep? Because his friend died. Because he saw the brokenness of death. Jesus himself was in, inflicted physical pain upon himself. Or he didn't himself do it, but he had physical pain inflicted on him. He drank the cup of death. Jesus, practically speaking, knew what it was like. When Jesus came back, when he rose from the dead, what did he ask for? Remember one of the, things, the first things he asked for? need some fish why did he want fish because he was hungry jesus got hungry jesus got tired he know what he knew what it was to be tired to want to just go into the laying down in the boat and take a nap jesus knew but we also see practically speaking that as high priest that there's something different about him 
that he is now sitting at the right hand of God. That he has been exalted and it's there that he represents before God in his perfect rightness, righteousness our struggles and our weaknesses. We really see a beautiful picture of this and we can't spend a lot of time there today. But if, if you ever have time this afternoon, homework from the preacher, go home and read John 17. Now, the, we call this the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That's something we call it. It wasn't called that in the original text or anything like that. But in it, you see a, a, an accounting of this. 17, 4 and 5, where he talks about his being enthroned. Uh, 6 and 8, where he talks about his ministry as prophet. This ministry that led, led people to faith. Verses 9 and, and 11, he speaks about securing God's favor and power for all who will trust Jesus is praying for his people that they would know his ministry of what he's done for them. Jesus was qualified. He had the experience, despised, rejected. You think about all, all the little details. You remember the wedding at, at, or not the wedding at Canaan. That's not where I want to go. Uh, you remember what happened when, during Jesus' earthly ministry when his family rolled up on him? Jesus, it's time to come home. Just come home. It's time. What are you doing? It's time to come home. And you can imagine the scene, right? If you've, if you've experienced any of this, this with your own family. Jesus is out there. Jesus, the son of God. He's doing the work of God, right? He's doing all these kind of miracles. And his family comes to take him home because they think he's wasting his time. Why else would they say it's time to come home? Jesus knew he had family problems. He knew loss. He knew hurt. He was human in every way we are, but one. He was without sin. Jesus is qualified to meet this office of high priest because he is man. But he is also perfect. In every way. He's sufficient in every way. And this is the warning that the writer is giving him. You have a priest who is qualified more than any of your other high priests in the history of, of Israel. Why would you go back to the old high priest who had to sacrifice first for his own sins when you have a high priest who has sacrificed himself for your sins and it is finished. But it's not only that Jesus was qualified, he was also appointed. This is what verse 5 tells us. Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed... By him who said to him, and then we see two verses here. Who is the one who said to him? Of course, the, the, the inference here is that God is saying these two things to Jesus. That's the inference. Jesus is appointed to the office by God. And this is something very important. Jesus did not take on flesh in order that he may exalt himself. Now, that is a natural implication of all that Jesus did. 
But Jesus, even in his obedience, was not trying to exalt himself. Who was he trying to give glory to? The Father. Jesus didn't come and say, come on the scene and go, here I am. This is going to be great. You know, bring me adulation, bring me glory. That's not what he did. He came in obedience to the Father. A true priest is motivated by a desire to honor God without concern for advancement. Simon Kistemacher says this, anyone inducted into sacred office must be called by God. If this is not the case, he is an affront to God and a provocation to his people. Jesus was called by God to the office. This is a language we still use today. Your uh, elders, me, we are called to the office in which we are placed. This means that we, we treat it as uh, God has called Alan. He's called Mark and Larry and Dave who's not here to the office of elder. Not because they're good or special. Not because of anything in themselves, not so that they would have glory, but he has called them to this office in order that they may serve God and give glory to God, to do the will of God in heaven. It's the same language uh, when we talk about ordaining a minister. He is called to the office. And so one of the things we do each time we sit down with a man who is coming for ordination, we say, we, we want you to tell us about your Christian uh, um, First off, your Christian experience, so your, 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 your testimony, and then your call to ministry. What is it that has happened in your life that you believe is calling you, God is calling you to this ministry? Understanding that, that Alan and myself and Mark and Larry were not Jesus, we're not called in the same way Jesus is called, we will sin. We will fail. If you want any of us to be Jesus for you, you're going to be sorely disappointed, I promise you. Me particularly. I can't be Jesus for you. I'm sure the others would say the same. We're not Jesus. Jesus was appointed in a a way that none of us could be. Christ came not to seek glory for himself. And if a minister, anyone who says they're called by God, is seeking glory for themselves, they're probably not called by God. We are to do the will of our Father, just as Jesus sought to do the will of the Father in heaven. The matter of Jesus' appointment is important because it shows us that God authorized his ministry. He appointed Jesus to be our mediator. And he, the writer of Hebrews, as he's prone to do, goes to two different verses in the Old Testament to to prove himself. He's saying, don't trust me, look at the Bible. That's what what he's saying. And first he goes to Hebrews 2, or excuse me, Psalm 2, verse 7. And we've already looked at this, he's used this verse already once in, in Hebrews, at least once. You are my son, today I've begotten you. Again, words of David which are, are being used uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
and being applied to Jesus, Jesus, or God speaking to Jesus saying, you are my son, today I've begotten you, I've appointed you for this, this role. It's declared by God to all the world. It's affirmed for us. Okay, that's said, but where's the affirmation? It's affirmed for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus, in his seating at the right hand of glory. This is God saying, if, in case there's any doubt, see this. But then we go into one, a passage that's a little bit more difficult to understand. Psalm 110, verse 4. and says this. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. Well, who's Melchizedek? Melchizedek is only referenced in two other places in the Bible. Uh, the one that is being quoted here is, of course, Psalm 110. And the only other place is in Genesis 14. Abraham came to offer sacrifice to this priest king. Uh, his name, Melchizedek, Mel uh, being the Hebrew uh, for king, somewhat, and Zadik, which means right, righteousness, Melchizedek, uh, king of righteousness, who ruled in Salem. Or you may have heard Shalom from the same word. Uh, the city of peace. We Many commentators uh, are crediting to the fact that prior to the nation of Israel, this was probably Jerusalem. 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 City of peace. It's the same name. So you have this man, Melchizedek, who was king and priest in the city of, of peace. He is called a priest of God most high. And you're like, okay, this seems like a very important thing. There's probably more information, but there's just not. Now we'll, we'll go through Hebrews and there'll be more information about Melchizedek. We're not going to look at Melchizedek in full depth today, but he's just kind of this oddball, not odd in the sense that he's odd, but just, he stands out. He's there, but not much as said. Some, some have even argued and, and stipulated, and I, I make no claims one way or the other because the Bible doesn't say it, that this was maybe even a pre, pre-incarnate Christ. And maybe, maybe not. It doesn't say. But what it does do is set up an office that is unique. Very unique. In fact, so unique that only two people have ever filled it. Melchizedek and Jesus. And Jesus is like Melchizedek in that he is both priest and king. And we'll see this more. Like I said, we'll see this more in weeks to come. What is the point though? Why does he begin to talk about Melchizedek? Because he's saying Jesus is different. Jesus is different than all the high priests that came before. He is appointed by God. He is the son of God. He is both king and priest. He's better. Once again, we see he's better than everything. And this has an impact on our faith and our walk. Jesus is sufficient. He is able 
to mediate between us and God. But not only that, as priest, he's also king. He has gone before us. He reigns. And so we look to him who is sit, seated as, sits enthroned as a high priest. He's praying for us, interceding with the Father for us. He has made perfect atonement for sins. God has accepted that atonement. And so we can be certain of our salvation. Because Jesus is now there. So the question is left for us. Is Jesus your high priest? Is Jesus your high priest? If yes, then that means you're secure. That you can rest in him. If not, then you're not reconciled to God. You're not free from condemnation. You are not clothed in his righteousness. You stand before God in your own sins but what a wondrous thing it is for the believers for all those who believe that not only has Christ met the requirements for our salvation but he was appointed by God to do so he filled a role that was specific for him and a guy named Melchizedek (laughs) But he was more than just a type where Melchizedek was a type of, of Christ to come. He was the Christ to come. He comes as the king of righteousness, reigning over the city of peace. Look to Christ. Find him as your source of rest. This is what this is, right? This table where we come and we see the sacrifice of our high priest, his body broken, his blood poured out, his mediation, and dare I say even a foretaste of heaven where he now reigns, making intercession. So we come with confidence, we come with boldness. We need We need a mediator. We needed that. We needed someone who can reconcile us to God. Someone who make atonement for us and not on a yearly basis. Someone who could finally make that perfect atonement for us. And Jesus was qualified to do so. He was man, but he was also God. He could identify with us in our weakness, even though he did not sin. And he was appointed It was God's plan that Jesus would save us. The cross was not a plan B. It was always God's plan. He became the perfect sacrifice for sins. And therefore we approach with confidence, resting in his loving provision. That's one thing as we come to this table, I'll say to you, we don't have to tiptoe up to this table. We don't have to tiptoe up to this table. We come boldly. To this table because we have confidence we have confidence in what Jesus has done for us so brothers and sisters in Christ let's pray as we come with confidence being reminded of what Jesus has done for us let's pray heavenly father we're so thankful for Jesus our savior we're so thankful for what he has accomplished for us on the cross Lord, would you remind us that we have a high priest who has finished the work, 
and that we are to rest in him and we are to not go back to this world because Jesus is better than everything. We pray all this in his holy name. Amen.